Let's pray for the word. Father, tonight we do want to surrender to you. We want to surrender to whatever you have to say to us. We pray for a spirit tonight of revelation that that we would understand what you would have for us to hear. And more than that, that we would do what you tell us to do. Father, we worship you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you teach tonight, that you bring the revelation, that you bring the understanding. We're grateful tonight for the Word of God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I'm thinking that we need a move of God. Anybody in agreement with that? Amen. I mean, not just individual churches, but our nation needs a move of God. And I said that to ask this question, what does that really look like? If we have the idea that it looks like the charismatic church of 1975, we're basically the ones going to look for the body of Elijah when Elisha took the mantle. We can't go back to do something. We need God to do a fresh thing. He said, I'm going to do a new thing. It's got to be new that he's wanting to do. And you can look in the scripture. He always wants to do new things. He doesn't really have a habit of doing things the same way over and over, except honoring his word over and over. He will honor it over. Remember Jesus, he healed one guy by just speaking to him. One blind guy, he just spoke to him. Another blind guy, he put his hand on him. Another blind guy, he spit in the mud, rubbed that in his eyes. He kind of had a variety of the way he healed blind people. I'm thinking I wanted to be the first one he just spoke to instead of the mud one. But, you know, but he did it. The Lord doesn't have to repeat it exactly the same way. And he's not going to repeat revival exactly the same way. So if we're looking for something that is in the past, we're making a mistake. Sometimes the charismatic age people, we worship the charismatic renewal much like the children of Israel worshipped Nehushtan. Remember who that was, what that was? Nehushtan was a serpent on the pole. And they kept it for centuries after Moses. And the people began to use it as an idol. And they began to worship it. We can't worship the past. We believe God for now. So what, what are we looking for? How will revival come about? How will a move of God come about? It depends on which camp you're in. Uh, if you're in the, in the prophecy camp, well, if we need more prophets. If you're in the prayer camp, we need more prayer. If you're in the uh, whatever camp, you, you know, whatever that you might say. So I'm thinking, well, what is it going to take? Maybe we just need the preachers to catch on fire and truly hear what the Lord is saying. Well, I've seen preachers that act like they're on fire, but how do you know the difference? I've seen great preachers with five people in the congregation. So maybe, I don't know if that's it or not. Maybe we just need... Maybe we need better teaching. Maybe that's what we need. I mean, after all, the scripture says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Maybe we could just teach people something. Well, I don't know. Jesus was teaching one day and everybody got mad and left. And, uh, you know, I read that one time and I thought, well, Lord, I've never preached one that bad. And he said, well, you never preached one that good. And so, uh, so I, I don't know. Knowledge can puff up if, if it's not used properly and we don't do it right. Maybe if we just had some miracles, maybe that would do it. 
When Jesus was alive, he did miracles. And they said he was from the devil. I've heard other Christian people, when we talk about miracles in, in our churches, sometimes saying, well, it's just of the devil. Or I've said, well, they're just faking it. And it didn't, it didn't, it, it didn't seem to create the move of God and, and, and all that. So I just have been praying about, Lord, what do we need? What needs to happen? And I believe this is, this is you can disagree with me, it's fine, but you, this is what I think. What the church needs are basically three things. We need power. We need wisdom to use the power and to do what we're supposed to do. And we need fearless obedience. It's easy sometimes to know what to do, and sometimes it's hard to go ahead and do it. I don't know if the Lord's ever told you to do something you didn't want to do. If He hasn't, then He's not really talking to you because He specializes in that telling us to do things that we might not want to do. The scripture says this. It says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Literally, the verse says, Be being filled with the Spirit. And so what it's talking about is a continual filling of the Spirit. Because sometimes when I say, you know, we need to be filled with the Spirit, then we're like, wait, wait, we're already filled with the Spirit. Well, are we? Are we filled with the Spirit? You see, I think we need to ask that question. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Remember that? They were in the upper room. They got the tongues, the flaming tongues of fire coming down. They stagger out on the porch and they're praying in tongues and, and everybody thinks they're drunk. And then Peter gives that famous three-minute sermon and 3,000 people get saved and they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the people said, what, what do we need to do to get that? They, they, they just wanted whatever Peter had. And they got filled with the Spirit. But then in Acts chapter 4, in verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the Word of God with boldness. Wait a minute, weren't they already filled with the Spirit? They got filled with the Spirit. Peter and John went to the temple. There was a lame man. He got healed. Then they went uh, and, and they started preaching to the people. They got arrested. They went and they were threatened and they told them not to ever do that again. And they couldn't preach in that name. This is all in chapter, this part's in chapter 4. And then Peter and John left and then they came back and prayed and said, Guess what? Those people told us that we can't heal in Jesus' name. They told us we couldn't do it anymore. So they began to pray. And in their prayer, they said, Lord, we're going to ask you. They told me, remind him of things in his word. And they said, we're going to ask you to grant us boldness that we can preach the word and heal the sick in the name of Jesus. And then after they prayed that prayer, they got filled with the spirit. Why would they need to be filled again? Weren't they already filled? I'll tell you why. Because they leak. We leak. We need to be being filled with the Spirit. It ought to be something that we are continually in, 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 in search of, continually wanting more and more of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The verse there compares it to drinking wine and staying drunk. And the only way you can stay drunk by drinking wine is to drink more wine. The only way we can stay filled with the Holy Spirit, the comparison, is to imbibe more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The church 
we got used to it at one point where it seemed like it was simple. But ladies and gentlemen, we need to be being filled with the Spirit. We need God to move on us and fill us with the Spirit. Isn't that good? I like that. I mean, they were filled with the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that wasn't the end of being filled. That was the beginning of being filled. And we need to be being filled. The result of that, I mean, the result of that was boldness. They were bold. I mean, we need the miracles, but the miracles are going to come as a result of being refilled because we're going to have boldness to do what God told us to do. The word boldness here is all outspokenness. It means frankness, bluntness, publicity, assurance. In other words, they had an absence of fear in the middle of the circumstance. They were not afraid to say what needed to be said. In fact, later on, they got arrested again and they said, well, here's our question. Do we obey you or men or God? Well, we're going to obey God. And they whipped them. They whipped them with the whips and they left and they praised God. They were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of us would be that filled with the Spirit right now if they wanted to whip us. I mean, we'd be calling the lawyer. But we must have, we must have God's power. But then with that power, we've got to have God's wisdom. The world needs the church to be wise. And I've said this before, the world doesn't need the church to yell at them. We don't need to be yelling at the people we don't agree with. We don't need to be yelling at the people whose lifestyles are in opposition to the Word of God. They're sinners. And what do sinners do best? They sin. That's just what they do. And they don't even know that that's what they do best. And so us yelling at them, there's no conviction in yelling at people. To ye- Listen, I understand. We think we want to be like John the Baptist and call people vipers and all the stuff. John the Baptist was actually the last prophet of the Old Covenant. Don't work that way anymore. We are in a new covenant. We have the Holy Spirit now all the time. And our, our, our preaching and our teaching doesn't need to be telling people they're going to hell. Most of them already know that. The preaching and teaching needs to be telling them how they can go to heaven. Doesn't mean that we're silent when we need to speak up about things. But it does mean we don't just yell at people. We need the wisdom of God. We need to be praying for God to raise up leaders in the church that can speak wisely to the lost, to, to, to those people that are obviously wanting to murder babies and have immoral sex and all the things they want. We need to be praying for God to raise up leaders who can address it, not compromise, address it so people can be born again. Amen? Instead of just yelling at them. It doesn't work to just yell at them. And we need how to, know, to know how and when to act in fearless obedience. I mean, most of us are like, if the Lord came and said, I want you to go across the street and I want you to witness to the people in that greenhouse over there. You don't have a greenhouse, do you? Across the, okay, in that greenhouse over there. I want you to go witness in that greenhouse over there and I want you to pray for the little child that has whatever disease it is and I want you to do that. And most of us would say something like this. Yes, Lord, if that is you, 
I want Michael to call me on the phone. Then Michael calls. Okay, well, if it's really you, we need to have fearless obedience. Let me read you this passage of Scripture. This is out of Acts chapter 9. It says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus. The word certain literally means any. Any disciple. This could be any disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now, if the Lord says that to you, that should make you excited, right? You ought to be excited about what God's getting ready to say next. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. I'm thinking he wasn't excited anymore. I can tell by his answer because he says, And Ananias answered, Lord, (laughs) I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem, for he hath for he and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. He's basically saying, I think two things, God. Number one, you got the wrong guy. Number two, he's the wrong guy. Because he is too bad to be saved. He's certainly too bad for you to use. And I don't think he's the one. Have you not heard God? He kills people like me. Have you not heard? I'm the enemy to him. And he has authority from the church to kill me. Maybe you didn't catch that one. And I'm just reminding you. That's the way I've prayed before. And it says, but the Lord said to him, I'm glad the Lord didn't quit saying, didn't quit talking, because the Lord had already told Saul, Ananias is coming. Wouldn't it be awesome, Lord, if you said, Randy is coming, and you could be sure I would do it? He was so sure that Ananias was going to listen to him. So this wasn't Ananias' first encounter with God. He had heard from him before, and, and God knew he could count on him. It says, but the Lord said to him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house. His knees may have been knocking together when he knocked on the door. His pulse rate could have been a little higher than normal when he knocked on that door. What if he didn't hear God? But he did hear God. And he said, he, he, said, he, he said, he entered the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, he already knew he was the brother, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you think he might have been a little bit afraid? We read the Bible sometimes and we, we just kind of read it with these religious colored glasses on. I'm going to tell you, I think he was afraid. I think he was suffering from symptoms of fear. I don't know that he was afraid, but he had to, he had to have the, the symptoms of fear or he would have never said to the Lord, you know, God, you heard about him, right? He had to to have been feeling something. 
He had feelings of fear. And the man had to take the word of God and be willing to lay his life down for what God told him to do. That's a pretty serious thing. I mean, he obeyed God in spite of how he felt. Sometimes like, Lord, I, I just don't feel like that's you. It doesn't matter if you feel like it or not. What matters is if it's God or not. What did God say? You and I are deeply indebted to this certain disciple because he went and prayed for Saul, who wrote most of the New Testament. You and I are indebted to him. I mean, he went, first of all, he, met, he, he prayed with him, got him filled with the Spirit, and then he ministered to his physical need, to the blindness. And I mean, the whole world, according to one, 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 one government official, was turned upside down because of this guy that Ananias prayed for. Man, when you think about just the fearless obedience that he had to go and knock on that door and to pray for him. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need the power. We need a word from God, which is the wisdom. And we need the kind of faith that will obey God no matter how intense the feeling of fear may be. We've got to obey Him. We've got to obey what God said. I mean, that also that includes when you read in the Scripture, having, having just the fearless obedience to do what the Bible says, to receive what the Bible says about who you are. Instead of, well, I don't feel like that. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm more than a conqueror. I, I don't feel like that I, that I am the apple of God's eye. I don't feel, it doesn't matter what we feel like. What matters is what did God say? What did he say to us? In the scripture, what has he promised us? What has he told us to do? We need to be fearlessly obedient with whatever he tells us to do. Man, that's a good way to open a message, right? Being fearlessly, fearlessly obedient to God. God is looking for that in every one of us. And you know what? Each of us can do that. Let me go to this scripture. I read this the last several times. And Simon Peter answered and said to him, talking about Jesus, Jesus said, who do people say I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. So it's possible Peter was standing there and Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And all of a sudden Peter got the revelation. And everybody said, some say that, that. He, he, he went, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't even know if he realized it was there until that moment. I think it probably was. I think he had this revelation going on inside of him. And, and I really like this. Jesus said, the Father revealed to you. And I say also to thee that thou art Peter, small stone, and upon this rock, giant boulder, which is the revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church shouldn't be on the defensive. We should be on the offensive. The media, the culture has put the church in the defensive. We need to be on the offensive. We should be attacking the gates of hell rather than hell attacking the gates of the church. And Jesus, he said, it can't prevail against you. If you'll just go out and do what you're supposed to do. He said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now last time we talked about heaven and earth, the connection between heaven and earth. We talked about the first, second, third heavens. And we talked about how that what they were binding was not binding something in the third heaven where God is, but in the first heaven where the, where the devil is. Where the, where, the, where the demons are, where those things are. And so we looked at that. We've talked about how that sometimes we say, why would God allow? The, the answer is not, the, the question is, why, why would God allow? The question is, why would we allow it? Because basically, when Jesus said, whatever you loose will be loosed, whatever you bind will be bound, he basically said, whatever you allow will be allowed. Whatever you forbid will be forbidden. And so Christians have more to do with what's happening around them than just everything being willy-nilly the will of God. He said, whatever you bind in earth will be bound in the heavenly realm. Not the heaven of heavens, but in the atmosphere of the earth. We talked about that last time. Okay, so he said, whatever you allow will be allowed. Whatever you disallow will, will be disallowed. Whatever you forbid will be forbidden. We have the right to bind and to loose. And in Jesus' ministry, he did just that. He bound things. He loosed things. The woman that was bent over, he said, shouldn't she be loosed? And she was loosed when he told, told the Spirit to loose her. So we, we're supposed to be doing that. So we need to bind and we loose. If we allow it, it's allowed. If we loose it, if we kick it out, it has to be kicked out. The same thing can be said of what we do with fear when it comes. Christians ought not to be afraid. That should have been a good time to say amen. 365 times the Bible says, fear not or don't be afraid. We ought not to be afraid. We, if, you, if you're not afraid, you are fearless. We ought to be fearless. Now, that doesn't mean we do dumb things. It doesn't mean, well, y'all are all afraid. Let me show you I can do it. It's kind of like, hold my beer. Let me do this. No, no, we, we, we don't do silly things, but we should not be afraid. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For, for, much, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now notice what he says. The devil had the power of death. He doesn't have the power of death. Jesus destroyed him and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If we're afraid of death, we will be subject to bondage. Pretty much all fear is connected to death. Do you realize that? I've heard people say, well, I'm afraid of flying. No, they're not afraid of flying. They're afraid of crashing. <laughs> because the fear is when the plane crashes, they will die. Well, I'm afraid of spiders. No, you're not afraid of spiders. You're afraid of being bitten by a spider and it killing you. Because that's, all fear ultimately lines up with death, and that's what, that's what they want. I mean, it, 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 it's, we need to understand what fear does and how it paralyzes and how it makes us not bind and loose what needs to be bound and loosed. How to do what God's called us to do. The lack of fear doesn't have to mean the lack of wisdom. Do, do, we, do we get that one? The lack of fear doesn't mean we're going to open a box of snakes in here and play with them. After all, the scripture says they'll remove snakes. Well, only if they need to be removed. You don't have to put them in the way so you can remove them. And if we're afraid of them, why? Because they'll bite us and kill us, and that's the deal. We don't need to have the fear of those, but we don't need to be foolish. 
I mean, there were Christians all over during the pandemic proving that they weren't afraid. You don't have to prove you're not afraid. You just have to don't be afraid. Isn't that good? We, we don't have, I mean, the devil was saying, okay, Jesus, if you're so tough, cast yourself off of this. After all, the Bible says, the angels will make sure you don't hurt your foot. And Jesus basically said, I am not going to put God to some foolish test. I don't have to do that for you. We don't have to do that. We just don't have to be afraid. That's what we're supposed to do. We must not allow it. I'm going to tell you how. And it's good. One time in 1985, yeah, 1985, I was at the South Plains Mall. And I was walking in the mall, and I saw this guy that I hadn't seen in years. Let me back up just a bit before I saw him. We used to go to a church that was not exactly a cult, but close to one. And uh, it was a strange group of people. And if anybody ever tried to leave the church, I mean, all kinds of things were said about you. And, and they tried to, to curse you with their words and hoped you would die because you left or whatever. They, they, they really hope you would. They're, they're really good people. But it was just a weird, they had lots of messed up theologies. Okay, because they mostly, they mostly were, were, were read and preached out of the Old Testament. They didn't ever talk about New Testament reality and New Testament promises. The Old Testament is very important, but it, 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 the Scripture says, is a picture of the New Testament. Anyway, so I met them all. All right, and they, they, these people were just confused. I met them all, and one of my friends that was a part of that was in Lubbock at the time, and we had moved back to Lubbock from the Metroplex. And this guy looks at me. His eyes got really big, and his mouth dropped. And he said, Randy Voigt, I thought you were dead. <laughs> the guy seriously thought I died. Okay, because the last year we lived there, I was sick, and I was sick every day for over a year. And uh, when I came to Lubbock, I got more and more sick and finally went to the doctor. And uh, I mean, I was weak, and I had, at the time, uh, Tammy was pregnant with our son, Ryan, and uh, I actually weighed less than she did by a few pounds. And so uh, the guy thought I was dead because I got sick, and the rumor got back that I got sick and that I died because I almost wasted away. But one day, we lived in this little shack. I was too sick to work. Didn't have money. We had a couple of old cars that I basically call hoopty buckets, and we had these two hoopty buckets, and one of them blew up about a week before that, and this day another one blew up, so we had no place to go anywhere. And I, in that time, I was home a lot, and I decided I would read the Bible, read the New Testament for the first time. Now, I had been saved for a long time. I'm 30 years old. Been saved, got spirit-filled when I was 20, when I was 19. But I, I was ignorant. Anybody ever just been ignorant, even though you shouldn't have been? I was ignorant when I had the answer right in front of me. And so I decided I was going to read the New Testament, and that was very noble of me to help God out. <laughs> and so one morning I got to 2 Corinthians and I got down to verse 14 and I read these words now thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ 
and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. In other words, we are supposed to smell like Christ wherever we go because he always leads us in triumph in Christ. I read the verse. I'm out in this maize field and, and it wasn't quite time for harvest. I'm in this maize field and I read that. I was reading that verse. I actually read the verse inside the house and I went outside to the maize field. And I said to the Lord, I said, now God, either that verse is a lie or my life is a lie. I had to make a choice that day. Was the Bible true or was it not? My body said the Bible wasn't true. In fact, it was about four days later that I got a call from the doctor at 5.30 in the morning. And he said to me, he said, I need you to go to the emergency room right now. And so I went and they helped me. Anyway, I said, either this verse is true and my life is a lie or the verse is a lie and my life is true. I made a decision that day to believe what God said instead of what my body said. The fear, the feeling of fear was real. It was very real. Here I am 30 years old, I think I'm dying. But the verse said that he always causes us to triumph in Christ. Sickness seemed to be triumphing, but I made a decision. And so when I read the verse, something exciting happened on the inside of me. And I thought, I don't have to die. I don't have to be sick because that verse is true. I had never listened to one message in my life about how to take the scripture and to meditate in it. Not one time. I'd been in spirit-filled churches for 10 or 11 years by now. Never heard one sermon about what to do with the Word of God when the circumstances are contrary to the Word of God. I never heard a single sermon. But in my heart, in my spirit, something it got excited when I read the verse. So you know what I did? I read it again. I read it again. I read it again. I read it multiple times every single day. Until one day, you know what? I was well. I was fine. And that's when I met the guy at the mall. Because I wasn't dead. I didn't even look dead anymore. <coughs> because the Bible was more true than my circumstance. I began to not allow it. I didn't know that's what I was doing. Had no idea that's what I was doing. I began to not allow it. In fact, when I think back about it, I was able to whip the devil with one verse. And I was mostly ignorant at the time. Now, if a mostly ignorant guy can whip the devil with one verse, all of us can whip the devil. Because we know more than one verse. 
one verse because I chose to believe that. The devil's very limited. And if you get a revelation, he can't take it away from you unless you give it up. One verse. The scripture says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from God. No, he will flee from you. He'll flee from you. But first of all, we have to have that fearless obedience. Submit yourself to God. And we have to submit fearlessly, do whatever He says. When that happens, now we resist the devil. Resist. And what, is it, what does that sound like? Don't allow it. Bind it. Don't allow the devil. Don't give the devil a spot. Resist him. And he will flee from you. He is not that big, bad character in the movies that we see. All the demons that we hear about. I remember when I was 19 going to see the movie The Exorcist. Probably shouldn't have gone. But I had been around Deliverance a lot after I got spirit-filled. In fact, I thought it was kind of fun to work with deliverance. And when that, when that girl, I don't, anybody ever see that movie? Hopefully you're better Christians than I was. Well, when she started spinning her head around and throwing up green vomit, I said out loud in the movie theater with my friends sitting by me, the devil doesn't do that. And people throw up sometimes, but they don't spin their head around. I said, the devil doesn't do that. And that priest there, he needs to know how to use the name of Jesus to get that out of her. I said that out loud and I heard people going, shh, shh, shh. But we need to understand what we're supposed to do. How about this verse of Scripture? Now, if you read in the New Testament, this is in John chapter 14. It's in verse 1. In, the, in, in my Bible, it's in red letters, which means that Jesus said it. If Jesus said it, he's the same one who said John 3.16, and we've staked our eternal salvation on that verse pretty much. But the same person said this verse. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not. What does that sound like? Don't allow it. Now Jesus, the Master, the head of the church said, don't allow your heart to be troubled. And my first thought is, but what if I can't help it? What if I can't? Would he have told me to not allow it if I could make it not be allowed? No, he wouldn't have. In fact, the moment he said, and I read, let not your heart be troubled. I had the power to let not my heart be troubled. Because his word, the scripture says four different times in the New Testament, the word is able. And the word able is always a derivative of the word dunamis, which means miracle power. The word is the miracle power that enables me. Okay, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. The subject of this is me. He could have said, Randy, don't allow your heart to be troubled. Don't allow it. You got to believe something though. He says, he said, believe in God. You got to believe something. Now, 
I have to believe in something besides the fear. I had to believe in something at 30 years old besides the sickness. Because that's, that the sickness consumed my thinking and I had to change what I was thinking. I had to believe in something. I had to believe in God. I had to believe in His Word. I had to believe Him. I had to believe something besides meditating in the fear. If you meditate in fear, guess what you get? Afraid. If you meditate in the problem, guess what? You become worried about the problem. But we have to somehow, we have to somehow let not our heart be troubled. Now, when should I begin to do that? When the problem comes? No, I need to begin doing it right now. I need to be so accustomed to reminding him that I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. Lord, we know there's so much going on in the world today that if you just started reading that every day and not the Bible, you'd be a mess right now. And many Christians are a mess because they don't know what the Bible promises them. They have no idea how great our God is. They hear about it at church for 45 minutes a week, but they don't hear what they don't, they don't get it in their heart. I mean, it begins with me right now, not waiting for the fear to manifest right now. It begins right now with the words of my mouth that agree with His Word. I didn't have anybody teach me that in, in 1985, but I mean, it, I have to agree with Him. I don't have to agree with my feelings. I don't, have to, I don't have to agree with that. I know we think we do. We don't have to. In fact, one of the funniest things the devil does is when, when you, have, you have these symptoms of fear and you begin to quote scripture to him because you're already afraid, you got afraid. And, and they say, no, 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 I bind you right now. I have the authority to bind this right now in the name of Jesus. And the devil comes and says, well, it's too late. You're already afraid. Well, I may already be, but I'm not staying that way. So I bind you now in Jesus' name. I mean, my feelings will disagree. We have to learn how to do what, what remember the lady that, that Elijah, Elisha would pass by her house and, and she, she liked him. He was a prophet. And she says to her husband, let's build him a room in the back so he can stay there. And so, she, so they build him a room and, and, and Elisha says to his servant one day, he says, what does the woman need? And they invite her in. He says, what do you need? She says, I don't need anything. And, and the servant said, well, she don't have any kids. And he goes, okay, by this time next year, you'll have a kid. Sure enough, she had a kid by that time next year. And so years went by, and Elisha's in the house one day, and, and, and uh, he's out in the house. He wasn't in the house. He was out praying somewhere or doing something. And, and the kid was out working with the dad, and all of a sudden he had a heat stroke or something, and he died. The mama takes him back to the house and lays him on not the kid's bed, the prophet's bed. She puts him on his bed like, you did this, you're going to fix it. And so she goes to her husband, and she says to him, I need somebody to get a horse and wagon ready for me. And the husband said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to go see the prophet. And he said, well, it's not Sunday. Why, why are you going to go see the... This is my paraphrase, obviously. Why are you going to go see the preacher? What'd she say? Do you remember? It is well. She actually said in the Jewish language, Shalom. She said to him, there's nothing missing. There's nothing broken in my life. It is well. She goes to see him. She's heading out to get to the prophet. Well, the prophet sees her coming. He says, go ask her what's wrong. So Gehazi, the servant, goes and asks her. He said, what's wrong? And she says, shalom. It is well. Not one time did she confess the problem. 
She gets to the prophet and he says, what's wrong? And she says, Shalom. It is well. The servant says, she didn't tell me. He said, go check on the boy and tell him to come to life. Here, take my, take my staff and go tell him to come to life. So Gehazi goes and he tells the boy to come to life. It didn't work. It didn't work for Gehazi. Elisha gets in there, gets lays on top of that boy seven times. Seven times. All of a sudden the boy sneezes. He gets up and he says, okay, here's your son. She never said the problem. She said, it is well. Do you know when it's going to be well with you? When you say it is well. We're waiting for the doctor to tell us that we're well. We're waiting for the counselor to tell us that we're well. More than that, we're waiting for the circumstances to tell us that we're well. We need to learn how to say what God said and say it is well. Isaiah 26.3, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Well, they all are. Talking to God, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Perfect peace is the, in the Hebrew is shalom, shalom. So it's complete completeness. Absolutely nothing missing, nothing broken. God will keep him in shalom, shalom, who is worried and asking God to help him. No, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. The lady said shalom because she trusted God more than she trusted death. Shalom, shalom. This peace is amazing. It begins with my mind being stayed on him. And when my mind is stayed on something, what's the next thing that happens? My heart gets full, but it comes from my heart to my mind, and it comes out of my mouth. And I'm going to begin to say it over and over again. Man, so, I mean, Jesus began that chapter saying, let not your heart be troubled. Then in verse 27 of that very same chapter, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Now think about this. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give to you. And he didn't say, I give you a peace that's like mine. I give you a peace that is really good. He said, my very own peace I give to you. We have access to the very peace of Jesus. His peace. His peace. He said, that's what I give to you. I give it to you. That's what I'm bequeathing to you. Not as the world gives. See, the kind of peace he gives doesn't come in a bottle, doesn't come in a pill, doesn't come from a pat on the back. It can only come from Jesus. My peace. I'm going to give you my peace. Then he said again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm really liking these verses to tell you the truth. In the world we live in, the church needs to be bold enough 
to obey those words. Bold enough to not let our heart be troubled. How about these verses? 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. I love this. John says, the Holy Spirit says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. We have known and believed. I'm telling you something. You've got to know and believe the love instead of believing the fear, instead of believing the problem. Then it says, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. If we believe the love, when we believe the love, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There's that word boldness again. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is. I mean, we believe the love and we have boldness like the disciples had in Acts chapter 4. When we believe the love, we're bold. Another definition of that word in, in the Greek, it means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, assurance. We need to be happy that we believe the love. What I like about this is it says, it says, it says, here's a little bit perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Wow. Think about that. The day of judgment. The world is heating up to a fervent heat. The heavens are being folded. It's all over. They're opening the books. We have boldness in that day. We have fearless confidence in Him because we know that we know, we know our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Ladies and gentlemen, if we can have boldness in that day, we can have boldness and confidence in this one. We don't have to be afraid. We can believe in the love. We can believe what He says. There is no fear in love. You can either, you can either be in the love or you can be in the fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because, he, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. I mean, we have boldness in the day of judgment. Perfect love casteth out. The word perfect here doesn't mean flawless. It means mature. It means fully developed or another theologian said fully convinced. We need to be fully convinced of the love of God. Fully convinced. As He is, so are we. We are joint heirs with Jesus. As He is, so are we. If Jesus has it, we can have it. He was not afraid. He was not afraid. He wasn't afraid to die because death had no hold on Him. He wasn't afraid. Pilate said to Him, Don't you know I can have you killed? And this is my paraphrase again. And Jesus said, No, you can't. And I'm thinking, Pilate was like, what did you say? And then Pilate was more like, well, tell me more about your kingdom. As he is, so are we. I mean, God and love dwells in the one that believes the love. And fear that causes torment is now forbidden. It can't enter in because we believe the love. I'm almost done. Think about this verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. This is how the Amplified Bible the classic amplified. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, 
nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. God's love will not let go of you. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Now that sounds pretty confident. God is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? We ought to be quoting that scripture every day in these times. Every day. I don't know how you pray. I don't know what you do, but when I start, when I start um, talking about Jehovah Rohi, I quote the 23rd Psalm. And I love the fourth verse. It says, that, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod and his staff don't comfort the devil. They comfort me. That needs to be us. We need to, we need to put that in our heart. That ought to be in our mind. Psalm 91, 5 and 6 says, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. We need to be people who are saying those things instead of giving in to the fear. Listen, we have the power, the authority to to cancel the fear rather than allowing the fear to cancel our faith. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you, Father, that fear has to obey the word of God. We will say, I will not let my heart be troubled. I will not let it be afraid because we believe you. We believe your word. Father, we thank you. We honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.